Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back to Moms Going Boldly, where today we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 4, Episode 12, Species 10C. Did you like this episode, Vicki? Well, I go between really liking it and really hating it. <laughs> Tell me more. I, well, I got really excited when I saw the title, and I guess I should have known better. But, <laughs> you know, I thought we were wrong, and we were going to get to meet 10C earlier than we thought we were going to, which is still not early enough. But um, there were some parts that were so unnecessary just to drag it along. And there were some parts that were really exciting, although they didn't go anywhere. They would get to a point, and then that would be it. But... The fact that they're putting it off for so long makes me think that we're going to recognize the species when we finally see them. Not necessarily the Borg. I'm kind of hoping that does happen because I'm going to be disappointed now because this buildup should be for some reason other than just stretching out the season. The best twist that I could think of, and I know it's totally off the wall. It's not going to happen. It's totally off the wall. But I really wish that we find out that 10C is actually Tarka's friend's people. Okay. And he doesn't know that until he almost destroys them or whatever happens. And I know that's totally off the wall, but I want to either recognize this species or I want Tarka to almost destroy the species and then find out it's his partner species. I'm looking for revenge here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and to be frank, Tarka is such an incredibly unlikable character. Right. I can see why you want to do that. Yeah. He is just, and he just does not do anything to redeem himself. I had a moment when I was like, wait, what? Tarka lied again? Right, right. Anyway. I'm All right, well, let's get into this yeah. because I too liked a lot in this episode. And there were other things that I was like, what are you people doing? And it's going to be funny to see if you and I both had the same responses this is where I think it's always fun because the things that you like are not always the things that I like and vice versa and the things that you think are okay the things that I'm going what are they thinking so let's dig into this and find out where we are on this so here we are they have visited this planet they have got these emotion hydrocarbons from their visit where they think they can use them to con- connect with 10c and so they're now outside the hyperfield and there is absolutely no way they can see to get into the hyperfield so they deploy the dots with the hydrocarbon that they identified as peace which i thought was really cool right and this is where one of the things that kind of made me crazy in this episode took place they're all like should we do this and i'm thinking this is why you're there right i didn't understand that either right what's the big debate i don't understand yes Rillick is going, are we sure? And Nadoya is going, are we sure? And, you know, everybody's going, are we sure? And we're like, I'm thinking this is why you're there to communicate. For people who are supposed to be all about, you know, first contact, etc., they certainly seem really reluctant to be all first contacty. <laughs> right. But they went ahead and had the dots spray the hyperfield with peace hydrocarbons. And then the hyperfield grabs the dots and grabs Discovery. And they're freaking out. And I'm thinking, why are you freaking out? You just knocked on the door they're letting you in i don't 
don't get it. It was it was one of those things where they're freaking out to try to ramp up the tension to me. That's what the writers were trying to do. And I'm thinking they should be happy. This is what they asked for. That's what I mean. There were so many unnecessary scenes. Yes. Not only unnecessary, but they didn't make sense. Like this one. Yes. I mean, they're freaking out. Work us out of here. Why? You just knocked on the door. Right. They're letting you in. They're letting yeah. you in. Duh. <laughs> I mean, I just, uh, anyway, okay. And the other thing that bugged me about this episode was General Ndoye, who up to this point had been what, what I would call a black hat thinker, who are very important when you're having a collaborative conversation because you need someone who was going to say, these are all the ways this can go wrong. And that enables you to plan for the ways that this can go wrong. So, That's a valuable voice. Right. And I said that last week and I said I could actually yeah. understand the way she feels, but she's gone way past the point where I can understand how she feels in this right. episode. In this episode, she went from three-dimensional black hat thinker to two-dimensional tool of evil. Right. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Which it's unfortunate because I liked the way she was last week, and this week she's sort of like, oh, okay, she's just an idiot. Yeah, that's exactly what they did. She was yeah. likable last week. You can understand because of the way they live during the burn, but they did a total about face on her, and now they've made her the villain. Well, no, she's not even. She's yeah. just the tool. Of- the tool of the villains. Yes, correct. Yeah, she's yeah. just the tool of evil. She she's no longer even a three dimensional character anymore. Just Tarka's screwdriver. Right. Okay, moving on. So we've got a couple of things going on here. We've got the ship being invited inside the hyperfield, which is exactly what they asked him to do. Of course, they're freaking out about that. We've also got Zora, who's like, there's something off. There's something off. (laughs) And this is another thing that bugged me so much in this episode. Because you've got a sentient computer in your ship on the most important mission this ship has ever, ever engaged in. And they're all like, okay, Sora, we'll do some therapy with you. Exactly. Forever we'll do therapy. And then when she's like, well, maybe Reno can help. And they're like, oh, where is Reno? Oh, she's in the engineering, but she's not answering us. The most important mission ever. Everyone should be on the highest alert ever. Where's Non? Non would have been so on this. Right. And even when Stamets said later on, I've been looking all over for her. Well, these people can beam themselves into wherever they want. Nobody does any yeah. walking. What do you mean you were looking all over for? Yeah. What does that mean? Exactly. <laughs> I mean, to me, that was just like, as soon as she did not answer, there should have been like red alert. Exactly. You've got your AI saying something's not right. You're standing outside 10C's hyperfield about to go into one of the most dangerous, who knows what situations. And you're like, oh, we can't find no. It, 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 it made me crazy. <laughs> It made me crazy. Anyway, okay. Speaking of Reno, she's on Book's ship. I gotta say, this episode, my love for her was so enormous. Absolutely. She was one of the best things in this episode. She was. There was a couple of really wonderful bright spots, and this was this was one of them. First of all, she's like asking for licorice and then using it to activate her comm badge or whatever that she smuggled in when Tarka kidnapped her in the last episode. Right. To try to, like, I don't know what she's doing with it. But anyway, she's being all clever. And she's also smart enough to be able to read Tarka's engineering specs to see, what a surprise. He's lying. He's lying. And what he's planning to do is going to destroy everything. So we keep going back and forth with the two main storylines. The communication with the 10C, which was really cool. And her trying to communicate with Book, which was also really cool. Yeah. And then a lot of uh, around it. 
So the communication with the Tensi takes place in the shuttle bay. Once they realize that the Tensi has actually invited them in, which they should have realized in the first place, <laughs> then they realize they are getting some communication from them, and they go to the shuttle bay. And so the Tensi is essentially teaching them how to talk to them. Did you ever see the movie Arrival? Arrival. Uh, let's see who was in it. I'm totally blanking. I can see their faces. You're so good at this. This is not what I'm good at. But anyway, so it was a story about aliens who arrive on Earth and they are trying to figure out how to communicate with them. And these aliens communicate in such a different way. That they bring in this specialist who finally figures it out. I think she was the actress in Enchanted. Amy Adams? That's the one. Oh, okay. I think it was Amy Adams. Anyway, this is what this scene reminded me of. It reminded me of Arrival. In Arrival... Spoiler alert, people, if you haven't seen Arrival, turn off the podcast now and come back in just a couple of minutes. In Arrival, she figured out that these people communicate in such a way that actually impacts time. Their communication itself impacts your understanding of time. It's okay. a fascinating movie. Very, very complicated. It's like Matrix level. Focus and pay attention and don't look on your phone while yeah. you watch this movie because you, you got to pay attention. Which I'm really anyway. bad at lately. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was a brilliant movie. I really enjoyed it. So that's what this reminded me of. This scene in the shuttle bay reminded me of that, where these aliens are trying to essentially give our people the basics for being able to communicate with each other. And they use the emotions and then they use flashing light and it was actually i really enjoyed watching the whole process of them figuring out how to communicate with tennessee mm -hmm. i was hoping that you didn't find it unreasonable or <laughs> no two way out oh good because i loved it i didn't love it but i figured you would love it but i didn't <laughs> no and that was and that's that was not collaborative problem solving <laughs> yes i didn't find it draggy if that's what you're asking no they kept it interesting for people like me who have no idea what they're talking about uh. <laughs> anyway so when they finally figure out how the tensi are communicating the tensi actually give them a shuttle pod that looks exactly like the bean in chicago have you ever seen the bean in chicago no chicago's got wonderful public art just all over the place. It's really cool. Anyway, they've got this giant silver-coated sculpture that's shaped like a bean. Oh. And it's huge. It's huge. It's as big as a house, big as a school bus. Oh, okay. And if you stand in the right place with the right lighting, etc., the bean reflects the skyline of the city, and it's just stunning. Okay. It's really beautiful. So that's what this pod looked like. So we're going to call the pod the bean. Okay. <laughs> so they send them the bean pod to go in and they're inviting them essentially to come further to them to have a conversation. Now, why they couldn't have the conversation there in the shuttle bay, I don't know. But anyway, so they offer them the bean pod. And then there's this big moment of they're trying to decide who's going to go into the pod. And again, I was irritated. This is first contact. This is what you people want. Go into the pod. Right. They have so shown no sides of being evil. They're trying to talk to you. Right. It's very clear. And there's all this hesitation. And even Tarina, who's supposed to be a Vulcan and should be logical. She's like, I don't know, maybe that's the Romulan part of her. Anyway. So I was just really surprised at the trepidation. Meanwhile, we've got Book and Tarka who have figured out a way to break away from the, the oozy mass that the hyperfield grabbed them in. So when they were pulled in... They were kept separate from the environment inside the hyperfield by this stuff around them mm -hmm. or whatever grabbed them. And so Tark has figured out a way to blow a hole in it to escape so he can go over to the power source and blow it up. That's his plan. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, because <laughs> blowing things up is his plan. <laughs> and so they recruit Endoye to make some modifications to engineering to be able to blow a hole in the side. I'm thinking, how the heck does she even have access? Right, because they told her to hack it so she doesn't have access. Where the heck is Nan? She would have been all over this. And Zora, 
she would have been all over this, except that she's like having therapy because no one's taking her seriously. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway, so when they invite Ndoya to come along into the pod, into the bean, she says no because she has a job to do because she's the tool of evil. Right. But at that point, the woman kept leaving the shuttle bay while they're in the middle of this discussion. And now and she, no one says anything. About and no it? one thinks anything of it. Right. And now she doesn't want to go. It's crazy. Yeah. It bugged the heck out of me. And so before they went on into the bean, Michael has a meeting with Saru. And she says, I just want to talk to you before we go in. Just you. And I'm thinking, thank God. She's going to say, there's something weird going on with Andoye. We need to track her. Right. And it was nothing. And instead, she's whining about being afraid to go into the bean. That's when I wanted to bang my head okay. on the table. <laughs> <laughs> because, again, this is why you're here. Exactly. And not only, again, was it totally unnecessary because all the feelings she was feeling, we know. We know that. It was totally unnecessary. And it was filler again. And the whole screaming thing. Mm-hmm. This is another example of the writers trying to throw in some levity and missing the mark completely. Yeah. So I think that's very, very accurately said. Yeah, I was so frustrated at her because I was like, you have come so far in such a short period of time in communicating with a species that is so completely different. And now you're like all worried and you feel like it's out of your control. Are you kidding me? Right. Right. And then, as you said, the screaming thing. They're taking Tarka's advice. Yeah, number one, please. Yeah. (laughs) Believe me, I I understand the need for some levity and humor. And like I said to you last week, they did it well in Deep Space Nine because it was organic. It never seemed like they were tossing things in at random. Just like the hero walk last week. It just seemed like they tossed that in for some kind of humor. But it it doesn't work. I agree. You know? So, yeah, that was another whole scene. The, the hugging went on forever. <laughs> yeah. On. So we had the scream duet. And the scream duet, just for people who may not, who want to hear about it, is Tarka apparently told Saru that yelling makes him feel better when he's out of control. Apparently blowing things up does, too. And killing people randomly makes right. him feel better as well. Because <sighs> it's all about Tarka's feelings. Right. Speaking of Tarka, back on book ship. <laughs> Reno finally gets a hold of book and says to him, when he hands her more licorice... And she says to him, give it to me, like, because I'm a lady. She grabs him by the hand, doesn't attack him because he's ready for that. And she simply says, he's full of crap. I've seen what he's doing. What he's doing is going to blow up the hyperfield, blow up your ship, blow up Discovery, and leave a toxic rift where the DMA used to be that will completely poison Earth. Right. It's like, it's, it's like I don't know, Tarker's just sort of like, I don't even, I don't even get him. Don't even get him. Anyway, she tells books this, and books like, no, 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 no. And then she tells them this great story. I really, really liked her story because it, it gave us some some depth to her that we haven't seen before, and it was done in such a natural and organic way. And I like you use of the word organic because I think you're you pegged that right on. So much of this is sort of seems to be shoved in and doesn't seem to be happening organically with the function of the characters right and this is one of the first little side stories that we've heard that actually made sense to and what... seemed appropriate for the moment e- exactly yeah so she tells the story about her wife died during the war with the klingons so she joined the hiawatha and then they crashed and there was an ensign who was burned who wanted her to let him die but she wouldn't let him go and when he finally did die she realized that his eyes were the same shade of green as her wife and it wasn't about keeping him alive it was not wanting to see the memory of her wife dying 
again. Right. And her point was that she made a bad choice because of her pain that she didn't even realize she was doing. Yes. And she was saying, you've done the same thing. You have made a bad choice because of your pain and you don't even know you're doing it. And I thought that was great. It was. It was perfect. Yeah. It was really, really great. Probably one of the best moments in Star Trek ever. But again, Book had a hard time believing her. And I still cannot understand why Book is thinking that they're going to stand down if diplomacy starts working. He knows that Tarkat is after the power source. And saving the universe is just like a happy coincidence. He He knows this. I know, but he knows this. He knows he's only after the power source. He knows it. I know it. You know it. Everyone knows this. It's never been a secret that Tarka only wants the power source. So if diplomacy does happen to work, he doesn't get his power source. Bottom line. How does he not know that? Yeah, how does he not know that? I agree. Is he just so blind or so focused on the stop the killing that he's just, he's not connecting the dots? It's crazy. Yeah. The other part in this scene is they had this conversation about how he got his name. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Cleveland Booker. So now I'm going to call him the Dread Pirate Booker. Oh, I have that written down. I'll ha- I'm taking a picture of it because that's exactly what I thought. Just like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Dread Pirate Booker. He got this name from the Cleveland Booker before him. Who got his name from the Cleveland Booker before him? I'm sure it's like some kind of homage yeah. to the Princess Bride. So there was also something else where they did, and I forget what, where in the episode they did it, but it was, um, I think, when the Tennessees showed up in the shuttle bay, they did this floaty bobby camera thing to increase the tension and i really liked it i thought they did a great job with that you know sort of like yeah i know what you mean yeah making you feel a little unsettled i thought oh that was a really good camera maneuver to really kind of emphasize how everything is changing for them because it was a really changing moment yeah so anyway our first contact teams steps trepidly into the bean and then they're like taken to the bridge of discovery and they reason that they were trying to make an environment that's comfortable for them for them to have communication now again why they didn't just do this in the shuttle bay because they were having communication in the shuttle bay why did they need to have an additional new room to have the new communication i don't know anyway they're moving along with the communication really well Right. They have communicated to them. Tensi are like, why did you bomb our DMA with your isolating thing? And they responded, your DMA scares us. And then the Tensi says, that makes us really sad. And then the tool of evil completes her <laughs> task and Tarka blows a hole in the thing holding them in place. After a really, I was going to say epic fight, but it, as soon as I said that, I realized, no, it was actually kind of a stupid fight because yeah. Book kept attacking him and Tarka had a force field. How many and- times does it take to run? into a force field before you realize he has a force field. And listen, he didn't have to announce that he was going to call Nadoya. I mean, people do that in TV shows. It makes me crazy. I'm calling the cops. Shut up and leave and then call the cops. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's funny. I was but- just watching the very last episode of Duke Space Nine. Spoilers! Spoilers! Where... We've got Gul Dukat, who's been inhabited by a paw wraith, and we've got Kai Wim, who's, you know, crazy. And, <laughs> and you know, when Captain Sisko says, I'm going to stop you, and Gul Dukat says, you can't even get off your knees, she says, then I will. I'm like, right. no, just shut up, grab the book, and throw it in the fire. Right. Why do we have to announce it? And if Book didn't announce that to him, he might have been able to get part of a message through before the big fight started. Exactly. You know, now, just do in, it. In Kai Wim's defense... For her character, her character was all about How? getting the attention and getting the praise and being the savior of Bajor. So I can see why she would announce that. 
because she wants to be the one who gets the attention. I'm I'm the hero. Right. So I can see why she did. But Buck, no. I mean, Buck used to be a courier. He knows it's better than to announce his moves right. when he's in, in a battle with somebody. And and to me, I was thinking, you have your whole programmable matter ship. Can't you just like build a cage around him with your ship or something secretly? I mean, uh, yeah. Anyway, so ridiculous fight where he keeps attacking Tarka in his force field and keeps getting damaged. And then finally he's knocked barely conscious and he's, Tarka throws him into the cell with Reno and blows a hole in the thing. And Tensi are unhappy about this and kick our first contact away team out of the bean and back into the shuttle pod. And all heck is about to break loose. Right. Did I miss anything? No, not really. Oh, oh, Yes. They finally figure out Reno's missing. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> just before things go to hell. Right. Which was also annoying. This whole glacial figuring this out so slowly, you know. Ugh. Where was Non? Non would have fixed this. Yeah, well, unfortunately, she didn't come back so, to discover yet. As they're rushing towards the power source, Reno actually is able to communicate with her licorice communicator and, you know, warn Discovery exactly what's going to happen. And you have to stop us whatever it takes, she says. Meaning, if they kill her off, I'm going to be so ticked. I know. You know, she's not in every episode, but I always get nervous when we start seeing a character a lot when they're not in every, yeah. normally in every especially, episode. Especially when they give us some backstory that's, tra- that's like, tragic yeah. and that she's recovered from. Yeah. It's like when we, uh, no. when we watch The Witcher, every time there's someone who has hope, we're like, oh, they're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> that's, How know. dare you have hope in this terrible world? You're going to die. I know. But we did see a little bit of Burnham's Vulcan upbringing. Yes, that was a great scene. You know, I mentioned a couple of episodes ago that we haven't seen any of that since the first or second season. Again, that was a really nice organic layer of character development that was really comfortable and a lot of fun to see. Right. So they're in an early meeting where Saru makes a suggestion on how to contact the 10C and Tarina shoots him down. Yeah. Hard, like full, full on Vulcan. Poor Saru doesn't have any idea what's going. On. He has no clue what just happened, and she shoots him down hard. But anyway, so he's actually kind of like a little. Oh my gosh, maybe this isn't going to work. Kind of really yeah. response, and then he asks Michael about it, which I thought was really smart because you know he was trying to understand it, and so he was using her as a sounding board to try to understand it. And she was great. She was like, "Oh yeah, don't worry about that. Sarek used to do that to me all the time." Right, right. <laughs> it's a Vulcan thing, especially in public. <laughs> don't even worry about it. Which was a great scene. It enabled Saru to feel more comfortable about this relationship that he has with Charina and, you know, moving forward with it and understanding that, that that's just part of her culture. Yeah. So that's going to be like the key for Saru to just not worry about it. Yeah. And <laughs> she's saying, but when she's talking logic, just let her talk logic. Right. And that's pretty much all of the episode. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or anything I missed? I don't think so. So on a scale of one to ten, what would you give this? I don't even know if I could because... <laughs> There's some, I'm going to go with a, because there were some parts I really, really, really liked. Yeah. So I'm going to go with a seven. I think that's reasonable. I was going to say six or seven because the parts that were good were like eight and nine parts. Right. The parts that were bad were like three or four parts. Right. So seven is a good middle point. All right. So unless there's anything else, I think we're ready to wrap this up. No, I think we're good. Yeah. All right. So we invite our listeners to join us next time when we talk about the exciting hopefully, conclusion (laughs) of season four for an episode that is as of yet unnamed online. We better at least see 10C. Yeah. Darn it. (laughs) (laughs) Join us then. We'll see you then. Okay. Bye.
Okay, bye-bye. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.